Russ Kazmierzak Jr. grew up in Arizona and has been drawing comics since 2001. When he moved back here from California last year, he wondered what he would draw about. A Valley cartoonist hopes to impress people with his comic books based on Arizona politics. Amazing Arizona Comics. Created by Russ Kazmierzak, based on the headlines. That's pretty, pretty creative, yeah. isn't it? Yeah, I don't know how much... Uh, Okay, I really need to think about this. You are listening to Amazing Arizona Comics Radio, the podcast about Amazing Arizona Comics and the world around it. My name is Russ, the creator of said comic. Thanks for listening to this podcast. I really appreciate it. Amazing Arizona Comics is a mini comic book satire of Arizona news, history, and culture with superhero adventure. And there is no greater time to analyze what's happening in culture, in the world, than right now, as we're all mired in the quarantine, in the throes, at the mercy of COVID-19. I'm recording this on May 1st, May Day, 2020. May Day, May Day, we still need help. (laughs) Governor Doug Ducey has just uh, announced that our 30-day stay-at-home order, which began on April 1st, has been extended to the first 15 days in May. So businesses all over the state are still strongly suggested, still strongly suggested that they remain closed at this time. Only essential businesses and essential services are open. And as a comic book artist, I'm still wondering if I'm among that number. What makes comics essential? There's an argument for art and what it contributes to culture and how essential and important it is, but comics has long struggled to find its place in society as both a viable art form, storytelling medium, and pure source of entertainment for all ages, not just the kids. So here we are, in the throes of the coronavirus, wondering if comic books have a place. I'm joined once again by my good friend David Deloso, local artist, here in Phoenix, both a fine artist and comic book illustrator. You can find him on Instagram at the underscore Vasic. That's T-H-E underscore V-A-S-I-C. And you can see all of his great work there. You can also find his sketch covers available on eBay right now. So if you like what you see on Instagram, please find him on eBay and bid on one of those amazing sketch covers. David? Good to sit with you again, my friend. Oh, thanks again for having me. Absolutely. So how are you feeling now about two weeks from the last time we talked about uh, what was going on uh, with the COVID? feel like an old man saying it that way, but it's been about two weeks since we talked about how COVID's impacting our lives and comics, and now with another 15-day uh, stay-at-home order uh, uh, ahead of us, how are you feeling and what are you thinking about that, this? That, that announcement alone just doubled my depression and uh in terms of like it it's already gone on too long and everybody has a has an opinion or comment about it but if you drive around the city if you go into walmart it's not a lockdown so it just it's whatever it's supposed to be doing isn't happening anyway yeah, when I'm driving around town, I'm wondering, where are all of these people going? There are only Hundreds so many cars. places open. It, it, you're just bored out of your mind. Let's go to Target. Let's just go to sure. Walmart. Let's go to... Goodwill. Goodwill's Kroger. open. Yeah. You know. Absolutely. And 
and it, and it's literally like if Sprouts is in this shopping plaza, but that EA um, GameStop is two doors down. You're saying hundreds of people can go into this store, but they cannot go into that store. Interesting. Because why exactly? Well put. You Absolutely. But that would be considered a non-essential retail business. In other words, people don't need video games to live, but they need food and, and the supplies of the grocery store. In terms of actual slowdown and actual stopping of or the the spread of the flattening virus. the curve yeah. or whatever they're analogy is for it. it it's just a hundred people is still a hundred people sure if they're in that shop constantly but Ducey no, did say that the point of this order wasn't to close businesses but to prevent the spread and so in the context of what you're saying that GameStop could theoretically be open if it practiced so responsible limiting customers everything you need to do I mean like there's a line out out into the main street for a McDonald's or Starbucks or what you know whatever business that's allowed to do to go items and and I'm not saying they're thriving by any means but they have a source of income and I'm I'm sorry Starbucks has local people employed by them but they are a global, global corporation yeah you know what I'm saying that that has resources. But. And I would suspect that they are not suffering during this time because they can minimize their staff. You don't have the lobby open. You're just working mm-hmm. the drive-thru. So. Well, Dutch Brothers is like business as usual. Of they're, course. They're the like so model. way ahead of the curve on that. Sure. Um, but I'm, I'm going to speculate that places like Starbucks, McDonald's, where you can minimize staff and perform the drive-thru service only, they're going to come out on top. Because they're still making money mm-hmm. with less overhead, yeah. overhead, less folks in the building to pay. So that's a theory. No economic basis on that whatsoever. And of course, me neither. It's just it, it's just what I see day to day. And again, my opinion means f all. But you well, know, it's, it's like, important to me, which is why we're sitting here today. Right, right. Some of the shops that are not going to be open for the next fifteen days, we presume, include comic book stores. And tomorrow. Would have been, would have been a, a veritable holiday, not quite the Black Friday of the year, but but it's um, a huge day, it's a huge day for comic book stores. Free comic book day, as we record. I'd say this. as important as Black Friday. It definitely gets feet in the door, and though we the don't premise... get the dollar sale at the Samurai <laughs> Comics here, but, right? <laughs> uh, and believe me, I'm there first person, baby, because I stock up on those sketch covers. It's a great sale, absolutely, and and that's like another thing, like that. When my mind just starts, you know, unraveling like everything else. That's just something I just came up with, like, as we were talking. It's like July 4th. And when I, are we going to have a store that's even open to have a dollar sale so I can stock up on sketch covers again? You know? <laughs> sure. Which is part of my business model. And I'm sorry, it, it's hard to pay $5 a book, you know? So I specifically wait for those times. Yeah. You know, to, and you're certainly not alone as an artist. Somebody that does that as supplemental income. Because, I mean, I penny pinch everything. I, you know, if you watch me in a store, like a Walmart or Target, sure. you know, it'll put that per unit price or per ounce <laughs> price. And if, you know, the bigger bag is is 
one or two cents less per ounce, it's I see the the money difference. You see you know the better I, deal. Yeah, you know what I mean. Like, yeah, it's insane. Well, and when it comes right, to art, and, pension a penny increases your profit margin. That's a, that's so if you can exact. get that sketch cover for a, a dollar compared to five, that's four more dollars that's in your that's pocket in when you get pocket. the winning bid. Yeah, even though it may take you know because. I'll tell you right now, I've got I've got at least fifty blanks right now. Wow, really? Yeah, I got a whole short box full, <laughs> and I'm trying to crank them out left and right. So, you know, Jim Lee is doing sixty images in sixty days. I'm doing five for five. <laughs> five five covers in five weeks. Oh my gosh! Well. And I, my hand's about to fall off. You heard it here, folks. <laughs> no, but I have actually. Up my uh, my game in in terms of sketch cover and trying to get like some artwork online because they have been selling and so it, that's, that's pretty uh, that's pretty uplifting and uh, otherwise dismal, sure know, depressing. Um, yeah, I think we talked about outlook, this last yeah. time because a lot of folks can't go get those new issues. Folks that are still working have the same income. So they're looking at alternatives to what their new releases would have been. You know, that, mm-hmm. that money they would have spent on a Wednesday for a new book, now they're spending perhaps online picking up a sketch cover and supporting an independent artist like you, or maybe skating through some other yeah, um, I, I, online ordering services, zine distros, Yeah, uh, or they want like it. They just want to buy some from your store because, you know, because they know it's supporting you. Sure. It's very, it's very, uh, you can see that kind of, Goodwill come out. That's uh, that's always impressive. Where, again, you're not having any of the uh, the riot scenario. It's all been good. Goodwill people and very good. You know. Well, and the uh, sad truth is that without Free Comic Book Day tomorrow, May second, um, the number of folks that may have been introduced to comics as that day is famous for doing. Um, is limited now too. Free Comic Book Day is essentially the, uh, the the Sunday afternoon at Costco Day for comic book stores, where you can go into a comic book shop and get a free comic from a major publisher like DC, Marvel, IDW, Dark Horse. They're offering titles, most of which have new material, for mm-hmm. free, so that you, as a potential reader, could sink your teeth into something and go back and buy later. That's why I say perhaps the day itself isn't like the Black Friday, but it certainly sets up uh, oh, yeah, the potential not, not, for future customership. It, it's huge for local comic book stores in terms of their revenue because it brings in hundreds, if not thousands, of people Absolutely. during the day. Yeah. And I usually do events like like uh, we were talking earlier. Like last year, it happened to... Uh, fall on May 4th, which is May the 4th for Star Wars. So I do a bunch of Star Wars models from Bandai and uh, shoot photography. But anyway, Thomas used to work at Samurai, now works for uh, Tom McFarlane. Mm -hmm. Anyway, but he said, come on out, you know. So I had my models out, and I mean, it was just a huge day. Like I had a really good day in terms of selling, you know, artwork or prints and stuff, and it was just, you know, it's a huge day for comics and for comic shops. And yeah, like for it to fall on just by extending that. But I mean, would they would they even have books shipped at this point? I don't think diamonds? books would have been shipped. So it I wouldn't think even have been. Even if we had gone back to normal, quote unquote, 
today, that doesn't mean you're prepared tomorrow for an event of this of this That's magnitude. What I mean, it couldn't. It wouldn't be. It couldn't have came together anyway. Yeah, it wouldn't. It, that was my struggle with Ducey's, um announcing it when he did. If I owned a small business of any kind, I would presume that as the initial stay-at-home order wound up, as the thirtieth approached, I'd be developing a strategy to bringing back some of my staff, opening with maybe minimal hours, but at least getting the doors open and uh, rolling out business again. I would have been looking forward to that. I would have been excited for that. I would have been scared for that. And I would have been thinking of how to be ready to go for the first. And then for him to wait until the 29th, I think it was, to basically say, we're going to do another 15 days. Now, I got to sit back and reevaluate that entire strategy if I was making it at all. Um, what if he had said, we are going to resume on the 1st? Then if I hadn't been making a strategy, I'd have two days to scramble, get staff, and reopen my business. So the fact that he waited uh, that long is what bugged me the most. Not even so much that he announced in an, another 15 days. It was that we had to wait that long into the month to find out it was coming at all. Oh, yeah. And, then and my... it makes me wonder then, when these 15 days are up, is it going to take him till the 14th to tell us if we have another 15 days to anticipate? Or are we just going to assume that come the 15th, it's over? You know, are he, we he just has... going to be like, we're done? <laughs> right. Or, or are we just going to decide? And businesses have. I read about a restaurant in Wickenburg mm-hmm. that has just opened their doors for breakfast. It's a diner, local place. People come in every morning, get their, uh, their hash browns, their eggs. And they did that this morning uh, for the first time in a month. Um, some bars have said, forget it, we're opening, you know, it's Friday, Cinco de Mayo is right around the corner, you know, that's a big day, so um, we're in this interesting transitional period now between what we were calling the old normal and the new normal, and I think the new normal is going to look a lot like the old normal, maybe with just a few more masks on, I don't think the new normal is going to be dramatically different from the old normal. No, and then it's just going to be like this... You know, half-ass attempt at social distancing. It's like, oh, okay, until I just actually need something, and then I'm right. just gonna ignore whatever it is. Absolutely. But uh, isn't it weird that Cinco de Mayo is always on May fifth? <laughs> but um, anyway, I'm gonna drop a rim shot into the. Uh... <laughs> uh, but you know what you what you what you said about uh, Doug Ducey was was funny because a I had no idea that our thing might have been li- lifted. It was like how you know because I you start seeing in the news that every other city starting to open up. I'm like, oh well, Arizona will be done. Sure, surely we'll be done by the end of the month or something. And for it to come out like that, yeah, like was a real gut punch for me because I had no clue. But then I talked to Ross Caligiuri, another local writer here, creator. Um, he he has a he wrote a book called uh, Dreaming in the Shadows, DreamingInTheShadows.com little uh shout out to him but we were talking the other day how he was just already pissed off because they, he knew about the the announcement coming and oh. he and he already knew because of what you just said that there was no early hints of right. dropping something about get ready you know it's coming mm-hmm. we're about to lift this or whatever he already knew it was going to be extended and yeah, a lot of so people assume he was that. mad already before because he knew. I mean, like, it's yeah, well, it, it, just to have that foresight. And I was just like, I didn't even know he was supposed to make an announcement. Like, 
I'm just so in the dark about well, it. Well, sure. You know, when you do something like that, when you do a 30-day stay-at-home order, if there isn't an evaluation of how effective those 30 days were toward the end, then what was the point? To me, that evaluation should have come to the public around the 20th. You know, like, we've been inside for 20 days. We have 10 more days to go. Look, based on the data, these next 10 days are not going to do what we need them to. So we need to add 15 more. And then again, small business owners, comic book shops included, could have looked at that and been prepared. But I know for a lot of people, based on what we're hearing in the news, these businesses opening, there was a hope that that 30 days would be it. And on May 1st today, a Friday, everything would go, quote unquote, back to normal. Bars and restaurants would be open Again, Cinco de Mayo right around the corner. Cinco de Mayo is on Taco Tuesday this year. That was a big meme at the beginning of the year. Oh, wow. So, yeah, I mean, us gringos, we were really excited about Cinco de Mayo falling on a Taco Tuesday. So you can imagine the impact on restaurants that were gearing up programming for that day. I mean, that was it would have been a veritable St. Patrick's Day, which we also lost oh, because of this. Talk about, you know, I'm a driver, you know, Jesus, that. That day alone, you know, absolutely is, is is one of my busiest days of the year. Yep, gone, just gone. <laughs> yep. So, thinking about what this has done to comic book stores, let's pull the lens back a little further and talk about the industry because you and I were discussing some some points that have come out over the last few days, specifically about Marvel and DC. It seems like the old Marvel-DC rivalry is taking an interesting twist in the context of COVID-19 because they are taking uh, individual, unique approaches to this thing. Marvel seems to be erring on the side of caution, and as we uh, did a little investigation here, a little research, they've essentially fired half of their editorial staff. And DC, on the other hand, has been beefing up some of their upcoming crossovers and uh, implementing some some marketing strategy to create anticipation from the fans and the shops, so that when they when when the stores reopen, the uh, the readers come back and pick up things you know the Dark Knight's Metal uh, sequel that was anticipated for the summer. They've added some some titles and content around that, um, so folks have something to look forward to if, if you're a fan of that kind of thing. Um, so very interesting contrasting approaches from Marvel and DC uh, as and, we go into the next month. And a month, over a month into it, I, I don't, like to me, we're, we're getting all our information from other podcasts or Thinking Critical is the one we uh, mm-hmm. listen to a lot. Those guys are really good and kind of really geared specifically toward comic book industries, which is interesting. But I'm just not hearing a lot of official word from... Marvel or DC, like I said, Jim Lee is just drawing his ass off. <laughs> I mean, it's insane what he's doing, and I hope that money is actually going to. I can't. I'm just not a big fan of any type of foundation or charity because I just don't believe the money actually goes to people who need it. Well, I think a lot of eyes are on this because of the way. Because of Jim's amazing work, a lot of eyes are on it, and the way he's been promoting it. But I mean, they're going for tens of thousands. Yeah, it's amazing what he's doing. Like, Absolutely, it's it's awesome, and it's keeping DC uh, on the map, so to speak. It's keeping those characters viable in the marketplace. Not, literally not. I mean, 
don't it's not a criticism but like he is the head of publishing now he is the public's not even a co-publisher anymore cuz Dan DiDio, Dadao, Tomato Tomato that's all folks how many podcasts did that a couple months ago? Every okay. comic book podcast had to have done that a couple months ago. Oh, anyway. No, that's, that's actually good. I, I haven't heard that one. <laughs> but anyway, you know, but like not one word about the actual state of anything. And uh, Well, I, I think it's simply because they don't know. A part of what we were researching again, is... Now, you know, now that I'm just thinking it out loud in my head, uh, outside of my head, um, he kind of is. He's concerned about the comic book store. Of course. And I think that's his only concern right now. Absolutely. But Regardless this is of raise like almost a million dollars. Yeah. Regardless like, of when those book the, those bookstores open again, um, he wants to make sure that they will indeed open. Mm-hmm. So keeping uh, some some funds coming in and maintaining a, a semblance of support for them, uh, despite the content, the actual comics not arriving, the actual product. Um, in the absence of that, he's still creating a buzz about the comic book store. What's interesting is that it looks like DC is considering other distribution avenues. That's a big part of this, too, is a lot of it hinges on when Diamond... It's not even when DC or Marvel or or yeah. any of these other uh, even companies decide ready to, to go. Right. Yeah. It really hinges on when Diamond Distribution decides to get, get to work again. And, Which they're uh, saying mid-May, so I think right. it's, it's about to end. Yeah. And I can imagine um, some sort of initiative after summertime that is a... Uh, you know, there is Halloween Fest, I think it's called, Comic Halloween Fest or something, which is kind of like a free comic book day light for uh, the industry. I could see that being a bigger deal this year because we missed out on free comic book day proper. I could see the, the publishers uh, creating uh, some original content for that instead of just slapping that Halloween Fest logo on a, a reprint mm-hmm. of Harley Quinn number one or something. I could see that being a big event for the industry. Um, so maybe we'll get that. Who knows? Um, but it is interesting that everything is still in a holding pattern some two weeks after you and I talked, and generally speaking, a month into all of this really uh, rolling out. So we know that comic book stores will survive. It's just a matter of how many and then for how long after that, uh, <laughs> you know, will the readers That's return? That's what I mean, and just all the events that, you know, you know, we have just locally, you know, are able to do. We we can't do them. There's not going to be like a mini, well, samurai, you know, local artist thing in uh, mm-hmm. the back alley or whatever he yeah. wants to do. Yeah, Acme like, uh, over at Samurai yeah. and uh, Drawn to Comics, of course, always has an, a tremendous event. Ash Avenue is a great source for these books, too. Yeah, Glendale Glitters in the fall. Sure, you know, oh, sure. You're, you're, like, even beyond you, now, you're thinking. You're going to oh. have any of that, you know? Or, yeah. Uh, just huge stuff. I mean, the only thing I think of is now you can turn your 24-hour comic in uh, drawn to comics <laughs> as a quarantine comic. Exactly. I actually, glass uh, is right. brilliant. Actually, I, I, yeah. If, if you if you don't know what we're talking about, I do engage in the 24-hour comic book challenge every year, where I sit in the storefront of Drawn to Comics, which is this beautiful old-school glass. A window display yeah you know like you would see uh in in new york with the mannequins and the fashions instead yeah. ken brown the proprietor of drawn to comics has silver surfer and uh you know a deadpool cardboard stand-up and all this great stuff in there so i set up a drawing board in there so it's almost like a public art ex- exhibition and i'm drawing the comic for 24 consecutive yeah. hours it's like 
David Blaine crazy. Ooh, that's an that's a wild comparison. Visual Thanks, man. stunt, yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. By hour thirteen, the water is at my chin, and uh, I don't know if I'm going to survive. <laughs> but uh, yeah, it's, it's, uh, I thought about ankles doing... are swollen. It's crazy. It's just... <laughs> I thought about doing it earlier this year, and in fact, I'm thinking about doing it the weekend that uh, Phoenix Fan Fusion would have been, because then. There's still something going on. Is that on. the end of May? When it's the end of May. Going? It's buttoned up against Memorial Day weekend. Um, and that's when Fan Fusion would have been. Interestingly enough, that show's been postponed to September. And that four-day show, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, has now become a three-day show, Friday, Saturday, Sunday. So in the midst of this, Fan Fusion loses a day and um, becomes a fall event instead of a cusp of summer event. Which it always should have been anyway. Well, definitely here. Well, September's still hot. I mean, September's just the May of fall. When you think about the heat, still in the hundreds. Yeah, that's true. But But, um, I just need the nights to be 90s or 80s, and I'm happy. Right. When the nights get down to 85, we're happy here, believe me. We get out the scarves, the pumpkin spice, everything. And, um, yeah, it'll be interesting to see. Oh, pumpkin spice bagels, too, come in. The- <laughs> God damn, those are good. You know, while we're talking about Free Comic Book Day and Drawn to Comics, I should shout out Ken and his attempt to create a virtual Free Comic Book Day experience. So even though I'll be posting this after Free Comic Book Day, you can still visit drawntocomics.com and go to the Free Comic Book Day page where he has a series of videos uh, published and produced by local artists uh, that uh, talk about their work and offer some some workshops as far as creating creating comics and uh, it's definitely the closest we can get to facilitating the events you and I love to participate in in a COVID world. Um, and what's cool about it, because it's virtual, is it will presumably be there for a while. So even when Free Comic Book Day is over, folks can go and, and experience that. So if you're out of the state, if you're out of Arizona and you want a taste of what we have to offer. Uh, I would certainly suggest that as a, a, a smorgasbord. Say the website town. again. It's drawntocomics.com. Oh, okay. And there is a uh, slash. Let me pull that up real quick. But, um, you know, I've been thinking about if superheroes existed in this world right now, um, how would they be reacting to the pandemic? What would a Superman, a Spider-Man... Uh, how how would they be reacting to this invisible enemy, as it's so been called? And uh, I wanted to pick your brain about that as I'm developing stories for my own comic book about it. And um, see if there's essentially anything I've missed, because I essentially I, I have three ideas that I think are... I was going to say, what, what's your take on it? Well, I think that, you know, when it comes to superhero tropes specifically, um, there are a lot of easy avenues that you could take. I mean, the pandemic could be... The, the machination or the invention of a Dr. Doom-like despot that's trying to uh, take over the world and uh, conspiratorially put the public, well, put the populace. On, it, would, it would be the Mandarin. It's not. <laughs> you, know, it's, you know it's all China uh, More based. like a Ra's al Ghul, actually, which this has been a story in Batman with Contagion. <laughs> that was just one of the many uh, crossovers in the 90s, Contagion, that followed, uh, you know, uh, Nightfall and Night Quest and No Man's Land. It was all in that midst of, of I 90s. Any of them. But, That's um, so crazy. 
That's a lot of books to reference that I haven't have sure. not read. Well, No Man's Land. You haven't read any of No Man's Land? No, I, I know basically, and I know they kind of referenced it in uh, Nolan's uh, Batman stuff. A little bit. Gotham uh, as well. The last season of Gotham was essentially No Man's Land, as best you could do it on, on TV. But um, Contagion was a storyline that I don't recall reading other than the Robin crossover issues written by Chuck Dixon. But, um, but the and, Venom, Denny O'Neill, too. That was a, a self-contained story in Legends of the Dark Knight. Yeah, but that's uh, that's a drug. But that led to Bane. Is that yeah? Is that right? Yeah, yeah. Batman was addicted to Venom for a brief time. He wanted to beef up his skills. Then Bane, of course, is addicted to Venom. That's the source of his power. Uh, Contagion is a story, I, I believe, in which Ra's al Ghul unleashes a plague to. Um, to uh, take care of a vast majority of the world's populace because he's he's an eco-terrorist. He believes in the... Dang, and that actually is Batman Begins, too. Yeah, so, um, I mean, the story's been done, and I think it would be very easy to tell a tale where a villain or a mad scientist is behind this thing. But I also think it would be an interesting story where, like this, there isn't a mastermind, and the perpetual frustration of a superhero as he tries to find something to hit that will solve this problem. And there is nothing. There is no villain. There is no machine that's pumping this thing out into the atmosphere. You know, there, there is no um, Illuminati-style underground group of supervillains, no secret societies. that are. It's just a natural plague in the perpetual frustration of a superhero who is so used to solving problems with his fists, or even his mind, even a Batman, that... that uses his detective skills to find that perpetrator and to realize that there just isn't one. And the time that they've wasted looking for that big bad, to me, that would be uh, an interesting story because it puts them in a position of vulnerability, perhaps not like us, where we're vulnerable to the, the plague, but the frustration, the fear, the confusion, you know, uh, where did this come from? Uh, how did we get here? Where are we going? It would make them um, as human as us in that regard. That's one concept I had. Yeah, Bruce Wayne would be the Elon Musk or Jeff Benzo type. Like, does he even know that lowly worker, you know, in the factory that implements some type of Wayne Corp tech somewhere or other? I doubt it. Uh, <laughs> That's true, because Wayne Corp would be uh, under public scrutiny for producing masks. And stuff like that, you know what I mean? Yeah. Why isn't Wayne Corp pumping out masks and PPE? Yeah, I think it would be more of a alter ego uh, crisis than a Batman crisis. You know, sure. Uh, I'm just picking on Bruce for no good reason, but well, put any superhero that that is one part millionaire, one part yeah, I uh, think, vigilante. I think Clark Kent could do a lot more good as a reporter than right. Superman could in terms of I don't know. Yeah, he, a, he can he vision a lot of uh, what's the word uh, <laughs> sanitize. Right, he can sanitize. So you think you'd have a, a, a dim-witted president in the DCU taking to the podium and just flippantly suggesting that maybe uh, Superman's UV light vision could be. Uh, so if we could take I that know, into is the that body, something we could do. Is he going to take that into like, the body? And uh, Clark <laughs> sitting there in the. <laughs> In the, press in the room. White House press room, <laughs> sick, distancing himself six feet away from everybody right. else, and scribbling in his little notepad, like shaking his head. Mm -hmm. 
Like, See, to me, to me, Clark would then go to the Fortress of Solitude and spend the next 12 hours seeing if he could do that. So I think that would be an interesting part of this story where you realize there isn't a big bad and you have this intense power set. You got ice breath, heat vision. You can see at the microscopic <laughs> level. Super speed, super strength. You're powered by the sun, which people are speculating could could kill this thing. So you're you're just brainstorming and raking your mind for anything that you could offer, and you realize you have nothing to offer. That Doctor Hamilton at Star Labs is more powerful than you are when it comes to this thing. <laughs> to me, just one potential way that a Superman-like character can solve this thing after another, failed when you realize that this is as real an issue as it gets and superheroes are not even in the, the realm of possibility for it. I would enjoy a story like that. Because it's very much like what Frank was presenting in Dark Knight Returns, you know? You have uh, the contrast of Batman and Green Arrow and, and Carrie Kelly with, with Superman and Green Lantern and Wonder Woman, and Batman is basically saying throughout Dark Knight Returns, the first one, the best one, the only one that uh, <laughs> you never got it, Clark. The only you one know? I read. Yeah, he's, well, he's basically saying you, you, you guys never got it. We were always criminals down here solving the problems. The only way we could solve them. You guys are up there serving the flag, serving the politicians, being yes men, contributing to the system that's bringing us down. You know, and I think that would be echoed in a story like this, where Superman would realize, yeah, being a part of some big system. You know, if I were to dress up, if I were to stand as Superman next to Dr. Fauci and President Trump, I have nothing to bring to the table. You know, so my symbol of hope is nothing. And it's like you said, it's being a reporter, S. talking the truth would be better. It's you know? an S. But what, what <laughs> uh, well, on my planet. Oh. Uh, wait, what, what DCU are you in? Yeah. What Earth are you on? Yeah. So to me, that's one avenue in which I would explore this thing with superhero that's, adventure. That, to me, that's what I would do. Definitely make it a Bruce Wayne story, not a Batman story. And sure. make it a Clark Kent story. Specifically Clark. Because like you're saying, you have the godlike ability, but that you're you're basically ineffective on, on this level. Right. I also think that there is an element to this where... When the superhero realizes he has no place in the problem solving of COVID-19. And so he just resumes his responsibilities as a crime fighter, as a vigilante or whatever. Now the social pressure to do that job right becomes yeah. uh, an aspect. So Superman arrives to stop the purse snatcher and he's not wearing a face mask. And the person who's, whose purse was snatched condemns him. For being within six feet of him or her. No, not even you know? that. And then the guy that was trying to rob the girl for the money was just trying to buy toilet paper for their family, <laughs> you know? Right. It's, you know, it's on so many levels. Of yeah, the life. social right. pressure of that to me would be uh, an interesting story, too. Daredevil swoops from the shadows and uh, the woman that was getting molested in the alley says, oh, six feet, six feet. <laughs> and he's like, I, I can't see. I don't, I don't see what you're talking about. Right, six feet. I don't know. I don't know what a foot is. <laughs> but that would be an interesting story too, because I'm feeling it when I go out. If I go to the store and I'm not wearing a mask, that would be more of a to me like a subversive Big Brother approach. If you start seeing stuff like that in comics, 
I would think that there's an agenda. Like you, you already have companies making trendier uh, face masks with artwork and stuff. And sure. T Public, which I have T-shirts on, you know, and I, you know, I, I actually make some money off of that. But they are now selling, you know, the, uh, right. the mask yeah, with masks. your artwork on sure. it, and it's like. No, you're making it the social norm, you know what I mean? Like right. it's uh I'm scared of that already, you know. Well, yeah, I could see where you're coming from, but it's definitely a part of the world we're living in right now. Mm-hmm. So if you were to no, tell like us- I'm saying, this this round of COVID is voluntary. Come the fall, you're gonna see a police state, you know. <laughs> well, and that would be a great superhero story. When you know, the populace has to wear masks has a curfew, et cetera, et cetera. And I'm telling you, if we're, we're the just, superhero rolling into superhero fashions, everybody's already wearing yoga pants and, <laughs> you know, skin tight outfits. And now we, now we got right the into the masks. Sub zero wins. That's Ooh. what I think every time yeah. I go out, I'm walking among, uh, katanas, uh, Molinas and sub zeros out here. <laughs> but, um, yeah, a, a story where the social pressures of this thing, start to affect the superhero activity as far as maintaining the social distance and, and wearing the appropriate PPE. And now, like you're saying, if if that stuff became mandated, if businesses had to close, if a business remained open despite a governor's proclamation, or let's say even a, a full-on presidential proclamation that businesses should close, and if a non-essential retail business stayed open and the cops came, to shut that business down, and then hot on their heels, hot on the cops' heels, the local vigilante arrived, as he would, or as she would. Oh, which we're already having protests here in Arizona. Right. Which are ridiculous. Well, I'm saying, does Batman or Daredevil have any responsibility to help the police make sure that business owner shuts it down? Or what if the superhero had a contrary opinion, like, hey, look, they're just... You know, they got 10 people in the store. They're doing the six feet apart. What law are we breaking here? And now that puts the the superhero in conflict with the local law enforcement that is burdened with enforcing these crazy new rules, this police state that you're talking about. You know what I mean? Uh, To me, that's an interesting story. You're a superhero that is representing an ideal, but if the ideal is an outrageous level of public safety. Yeah, this really, like like that imagery is just... Harkening back to the Green Lantern, Green Arrow, Neil Adams, sure. Denny O'Neill stuff. Absolutely, he needs to he needs to address this. I think he would be a perfect writer for. Denny O'Neill would be an excellent writer for this. Excellent. Like these social. Uh, Absolutely, yeah, and that's a huge influence on, on me, as you know. Um, oh, uh, and we both met him. Absolutely, He's, that that was incredible. I've told you many times that after 2018's Phoenix Fan Fest or Fusion, whatever it was called then, I told myself, there's only one creator left that I want to meet, and it's Denny O'Neill. I just would like to shake his hand, get a signature, get a picture, and just say thanks, man, for all of these you amazing the stories. I did get the picture. I'll show it to you after Shit. this. But <laughs> um, And then within months of that thought, and I actually went online and tried to find some contact information. I, I looked to see if he had a Twitter, Instagram, anything. I couldn't really find anything. Um, but then there he was announced within a few months of my fanciful thoughts. I thought, oh, my God, this is it. And it was at Fat Man on Batman 
uh, podcast back when he actually used to interview people about right. Batman. Sure. That was a white whale. That is paramount to getting Frank Miller on that show. Absolutely. I think he actually has done more for Batman than, that's a weird tangent, but than Frank Miller did. Well, yeah. I think without a doubt. Denny O'Neill was smart enough to get Frank Miller. Right. Yeah. And to tell him, do whatever you want. (laughs) Who's on your Mount Rushmore of Batman creators then? Because for me, talking about this, you have Denny O'Neill, Frank. um, I think you have to have Bill Finger on there as a fundamental creator. Mm -hmm. Grant Morrison for me. Morrison for you. Um, Did, Did you ever read the... Batman Incorporated. Of course, the entire All run. Okay. Absolutely. Absolutely. That that is a love letter again to the entire mythos including everything cuz I, I remember telling you Batman Incorporated is not about the actual business sense of how he took the Batman concept globally, but it's it's a play on words of incorporating all the mythos. Oh, sure. And making it all relevant. And strange but true, but all the history, even with uh, Batmite, it's all relevant and cherished, and it's it's the biggest love letter to a comic book character that I've ever read. Absolutely, very beautiful. Um, as far as uh, yeah, him, an impact on Batman. I don't know if I'd put Morrison there. I'd have to even uh, that quick. I'd have to think about Neil it. Adams and. Visually, to me, you because have Neil as a Adams. kid, yeah, I didn't realize at the time, but all that artwork was all Neil Adams. So when I got the Batman forty-five, you know, oh yeah, like the record re- record dramas, of course, it was the Man Bat, but that yep. was all that's Neil Adams, Neil Adams. Yep. So, I mean, even Grant Morrison, you know, reminisces about like the Raza Ghoul stuff in the seventies or whenever right. he was doing it, but. Seeing Batman with his shirt off, you know, hairy chest, like that's right. all Neil Adams. So all that promotional stuff, and I hope to God they paid him because it was a crap time. <laughs> I'm sure. I'm Cons- sure he didn't see a dime. Yeah, well, I don't know. Considering how he fought on behalf of the Superman boys, I'm going to guess that that he got his fair share. He, mm-hmm. He's not. But I mean, he doesn't do anything for free. You know, 70s and 80s. Right. So like when I was five or six, like this stuff was just sure. I was just in love with it. Like, that Batman t-shirt. Yeah, it would have been a Neil Adams. Because there's a first grade picture of me. And it's like, <laughs> it's like a big B, and it's for Batman. Oh, yeah. Batman running in it, and I'm sitting there like a, like a dweeb. It's a funny sure. shot. But uh, it's like, even then, I had my Batman shirt. Well, and for me, if we're going to go with the, the artist that visually defined Batman. Like, as a kid, like, for right. me, it was so impactful. That's Norm Brayfogle for me. You know that. Oh, I've talked yeah. about Norm Brayfogle's Batman for a long time. And when but you look mean, back... What, and, but what was your first, like, earliest memory of Batman? Probably the Superpowers action figure and the little comics that came with it, which were Even drawn, before a comic book. Well, yeah, because the com- those little comics came with the action figure. So I think those very... I, I, I've made no bones about saying that those tiny comics that came with the He-Man toys and the superpower action figures, and I still have them all, um, those were really my first comics as far as seeing these characters in sequential art and not in a cartoon. Because for me, it was like those big, giant, you know, collected 
Sure. Just giant size. They're Absolutely. They're like probably 11 by 17 or something. Just yeah, very big. Huge, big books. Those were my first real books, you know, but an actual comic book was later down the road. But Yeah. And somehow, like I said, I would always find those records, those, and those were like gripping crime sure. dramas. I would kill to listen to those again. <laughs> and you know, now I'm thinking, I should, I'd probably just go on YouTube and type it in, I'm sure. Oh, they're probably there. But I mean, uh, like, I wouldn't remember because, you know, my parents had that little, you know, big box of a radio, you know, standalone, but it had, you know, you lift up the top and it had the player and the receiver and the whatever. Eight track slot. I don't even think it had an eight track, but it it was like (laughs) a giant beast of a thing and sure i knew how to go in and play a record on very it. cool and then we later had smaller you know portable ones that we used to listen to records on like grease and it's very crazy cool. but yeah. i remember just sitting there with that book and listening to those radio dramas it was awesome that's phenomenal well um that was a tangent but a delightful one and uh, at the end of the day what would a how would a superhero or a vigilante like batman react to COVID-19, the coronavirus, uh, running rampant in Gotham City. If businesses were shut down, only essential services open, citizens required to stay home. Uh, the Mad Hatter is at Arkham. He tested positive. Now what? You put him in isolation. Oh, yeah. I mean, you'd have to address all of this. Stuff. We're dealing with that now. Our prison system is is under high scrutiny because there are prisoners that are testing positive. Is that here in Arizona? Absolutely right here in Arizona. And so as a regular guy, my first question is, how come it's so hard for me to get a test? But prisoners are getting tested. That's number one. I understand that their exposure to one another is um, a little bit more mandatory and unavoidable, and I could isolate at home. But, geez, as an honest, law-abiding citizen, I can't get a test. You know? So but that's an interesting element. Because they're doing a testing blitz starting this weekend, where they hope to test here? several, th- yep, several thousand people over the next three weekends. But I did my research. You still have to qualify. You still have to have or had a high fever, respiratory issues, exposure to somebody that did test positive, which is still about one percent of the state anyway. If you got that test, I'm telling you, as much as I worked at the airport trying to make money and make ends meet. A lot of people judging me, but whatever. I got to make money. Well, you know, you're prostituting yourself out there. That's what I mean. But then again, <laughs> I live by myself. There's nobody. I don't come home to a family or anything. Uh, that would change my perspective on it if I did. But I guarantee you, I want to get tested for the antibodies just sure. to see if I was affected. Because they're literally saying 90% of the people, it's a light flu, if that at all. Right. Or it's asymptomatic. Which means you don't even know you had the virus. Right. We could have all been walking around asymptomatic too. But you did say anything. you were sick right before all that stuff happened. I did have. Uh, I had a cold, and yeah. I'm telling you, I got over it in three days. It sure. wasn't no pneumonia respiratory. Uh, I want to say about two weeks before all that. It was, it was like maybe the beginning of March, you know? Yeah. And I got over it in a couple of days, and I was fine. Sure. But then, you know, again, then when you think back, you're like, Right. Mm-hmm. Now, retrospectively, did I have this thing? Right. Yeah. Yeah, and again, considering how few people have been tested to date here in Arizona, it would be hard to know. You mm-hmm. may never know. And then, 
I read that, you know, talk about conspiracy is those initial tests that were shipped were infected with COVID-19. Well, geez. So you're telling me that people that got tested, that they could have been skewed, those numbers could have been skewed because the test had COVID-19. Right. I'm not saying it gave people COVID-19. I'm saying that could affect the actual test. Right. So are they propagating those numbers or what, you know? We find ourselves in a veritable comic book story in and of itself because the conspiracies run rampant. Is there somebody at the top of this orchestrating events? We'll never know. Um, but I think it's definitely something worth exploring in that lens because, as I've always insisted, some of the best superhero stories ever told have had elements of reality. Dark Knight Returns, to me, the best comic book ever, has strong ties to oh, its your, era. That's your best That's comic, my all-time yeah. favorite comic, yeah. Really? You didn't know that? Oh, absolutely. Dark Knight Returns? References to Reagan, Cold War, pop culture of the time, public paranoia, uh, missile crisis, uh, all of that, while still being an unbelievable Batman story. So now I'm curious, because this is 86 when it came out? 1986, yes. Okay, so how into comics were you at that time? Well, I didn't discover it when it was released. I discovered it about four years later, around wow. 1990. So after Tim Burton's Batman came out and I really got into Batman, I went to a comic book store and picked up issue three, which has Carrie on the cover with the big bat symbol behind her projected. I read that standalone, without context. <laughs> so that starts with Batman in the old lady suit at the 7-Eleven, you know, and what's he saying? The this the, the watch the contents. The swat, that was my first exposure, right? Robin's a, a a girl, a redheaded girl. Batman's wearing uh, hag drag, fighting uh, yeah old oh, uh, swastika nips. Superman. Yeah, you know, yeah. Then Superman uh, shows up out of nowhere, and they have this uh, Chad at Wayne Manor stables, the eagle and the rat, and all this visual imagery, and blouse. Oh, yeah. And I'm just blown away by it. Without the context of the previous two issues, and then when that issue ends, it's the, you know, iconic scene of Batman in the Tunnel of Love with the, with the dead Joker. At that, and that's how it ends. So I had no idea what the next chapter of that was until I was in high school. Maybe three years later, my speech coach, speech and debate coach, loaned me his copy of Dark Knight Returns, and then I finally got the full story and was completely enraptured, all in on the idea of that being the best, not just Batman's story, but best comic book ever written. Visually, uh, the pacing of it, the relevance of it, absolutely. Klaus Jansen inking. Uh, well, as again, as a, as, a, uh, as a teenager reading it, it didn't phase me that there was a different inker in that last chapter. Mm-hmm. It, that didn't really hit me at all. When you have yeah. the image of Batman on that horse, I mean, it's iconic. I don't care what you, how you think about the inks. The coloring carries that book in a, in a large way. Oh, God. In an incredible way. Absolutely. So to me, just all that stuff at the end. That's what uh, I mean. My brother, so we were both collecting, but he was buying multiple issues of this. And this is before any type of speculative boom crap was going sure. on. He just understood collecting. And I'm telling you, he knew something about this book. Like, Absolutely. And, I mean, he was buying. Now, this was like a, what was it, 
three ninety five on the cover price. Prestige man. format. Yeah, yeah. four ninety five, three four ninety five, something like that. Something like that for eighty six when we were young. So I was born seventy four, eighty four, twelve. I was twelve when it came out. Wow. So he was thirteen, and he was buying multiple issues of this. And I'm like, what are you doing? He's like, no, this book, this book, man, this book. You know. <laughs> so. When we were in Wichita, Kansas, which is a small town, but we sure. had a comic book store. And, um, uh, but I remember at the time we, we vacationed in Kansas City. So we'd go there just doing whatever, but we would go find like bookstores and bookshops and he would see more issues like number one on the shelves and he would just buy them. Wow. And I'm like, you already got three of those issues. Like you, you, you know, he knew. He Absolutely. knew it was. One of my biggest regrets is the um, beautiful leather-bound edition that came out. I think it included oh, year one. It, did it? Wow. I think so. I could be wrong. I, I, beautiful leather-bound. I used to go to the Walden Books at my Metro Center. Chris, my friend Chris has it. Has oh, does he? It's worth yeah, a pretty old. penny right now. It's very collectible. But is it really? I used to I go to the Walden Books and just flip through it. And even though I had the, the, now the you're talking about home. the one that had like the gold edges, oh, yeah. beautiful collection. Yeah, like the embossed, uh, yeah, the raised. Uh, it just made it classy. It made it feel like this was more than a comic book. It made it feel like this was a, a really a real work of the, art, a piece of literature. Classic, yeah, right. And I'm and I'm pulling it off the shelf, not at a com, not at a comic book store, but in a Walden Books. You know, so I just remember going. And this was before bookstores had the graphic novel section. You know, it was still there. I found it, read it uh, in the bookstore. I'd flip through it, look at some of the extras in the back. I just loved it. Just loved everything about it. And it was probably, what, 30, 40 bucks. And I, I wish I had scrounged up the money and bought both, it at yeah. the time. But then I would have read the hell out of it, too. The cover would probably be falling off by now and be worth a penny. But, but you would have been, you I been had it. money's worth out of it. <laughs> I'm, I'm going I'm I'm to talk to my buddy Chris. So you got the thing. I'll look it up. 20 bucks real quick. Look at Act like he doesn't know what he's got. All right. Um, but, but yeah, I think if a young Frank Miller, whoever that would be nowadays, was presented with um, the idea of crafting a superhero story like that, this thing we're in the middle of right now, and maybe not this thing specifically, but all the things connected to it, the scrutiny of government and the presidency, the idea of us versus them as far as some people want to get out there, and they're being very militant about it, and we're going to stay in here, and we're going to do the quote-unquote socially responsible thing. No, this is and that judgment. I think that that bipartisanship there. What is happening right now? It would all be a part of that story. What is happening right now is bigger than nine eleven, by a thousandfold. And you're saying not so much in the mortality rate, even though that is huge. But you're talking about the economic impact. You're talking about no, the in cultural terms impact. of yeah. Like Big Brother, just moving in without you even. Well, you see, when, when you say that, people immediately think that's nuts. Well, you're going to get those tracking and tracing uh, COVID alert apps that sure. you're going to download because you want to get that government check. You're going to start seeing it. You know, it's just super scary. That might be an entirely new episode where we just explore. The dystopian avenues of where this goes. Oh my God! And like, we just break it down. We already have the tracking and tracing. It's not the chip. It's the fucking cell phone. Sure. And uh, I mean, how how many times a day do you just go somewhere and just 
leave it in your car or just don't even bring it all together. I need it for my job, so I have to have it on me 24-7, basically. Um, we're never away from it. I sleep with it by my bed. Whoa. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? It really does never leave me. Absolutely. And it is listening to everything you do. Sure is. You say, yeah, you could turn this into a conspiracy show, but I'm not trying to say that, but I'm saying, like, there's a, there's holy a, crap. an unprecedented... Cultural impact. I'm and saying, like, what the way China locks down is very different from what the way we sure. say we lock down, but don't do it, you know. And we could, we like, could. Do you see those images of like barricading apartment buildings where they cannot exit? Like, oh yeah. I mean, yeah, wow, absolutely. And there are probably some seniors here that feel like they're in that situation. They feel <laughs> trapped by this because they're a, a targeted demographic. But we can kind of end. On that note, because what's interesting about this situation we're in is that culture, technology, the way we live has never been better prepared for self-isolation. Like the idea that we could stay home and binge anything in the world, anything you want to watch is available to you essentially for free, if not free for a very for a, a relatively small amount of money mm-hmm. you have access to any media that's ever been made you know what i mean and people are talking about they're running out of stuff to watch and it's like uh, you haven't dealt have you watched all of alf yet you know have, oh, you, like, <laughs> have you watched this and kane they're like who I'm like, shut up, is know. that a reality show about uh people that uh crop sugar cane but uh there's a lot of in- entertainment at it's our disposal. It's the sled, people. It's the sled. <laughs> the idea of communication. That, you know, we essentially have a teleconferencing. Yeah, like, the how do you feel alone when I can voice chat my mom, you know? Right. I mean, uh, video chat my mom sure. every day. Just I like I it. remember watching I Star Trek as a kid saying. and thinking, we'll never have that. In my lifetime, I'll never be able to talk to a, a screen and something that's a person. And here it is in my pocket every day. And I never use it. The technology, oh. I never use it. Well, a lot of, pe- a lot of people do. Well, I'm not saying that, but I'm just saying, <laughs> I'm saying it's crazy. It's at my fingertips, but I don't actually use it. Sure. But I'm saying, yeah, it's like, but I'm even just, even just wanting to watch that episode. You remember have to, you know, scroll down the tracking on a VHS right. to record your show. Yep. Like all my G.I. Joe episodes were on this tape, and if you use the extra long play, you can get more out of it, but the... They have a great signal. I still have those VHS tapes where I made my Star Trek The Next Generation best ofs. So I have the best of both worlds, unification, um, all the two-parters I would record oh, as they rerun. Yeah, yeah. And, I would, and I would do it in order. So I would wait for the entire series to cycle through reruns to keep something in chronological order. Because back then it was like fourth season. I'm not really waiting that long. Mm-hmm. It aired every night. So I knew... Once I get into oh, it was season in three, yeah. you mean, yeah. So by the time I get to season three, okay, in about two, three weeks here, I'm going to be at the best of both worlds. So I got to get the tape ready. And then after that, I was like, all right, now I got to get ready for, you know, Data's oh. Day. I want Data's Day on tape. I'm going to oh, get Data's well, Day. You know, so that kind of stuff. It's crazy because, you know, you, you sit there and do all the work to get this, I don't know how many episodes of G.I. Joe I had. <laughs> but when you were sick, I would just... Lay in the, on the couch in the basement 
and watched my shows like sure. all day long. And we are in that position now to do that. And that was like binging in right. the 80s. In the yeah. 80s, right. Where you'd have to fast forward through commercials. I did that with no, Batman, the animated series, too. I would too. pause. Right. I would be right at it and pause it because they always had those animated buffers. So right. it's really easy to just. G.I. Joe will be right back. Yeah. <laughs> we now return to Transformers. <laughs> yeah. This, it was very easy to just like, okay, pause. Yep. And then sometimes you fuck up and you just you just missed it. Yeah. And you didn't realize you hit pause or you hit pause, but it didn't actually unpause it, you know? <laughs> right. So you're actually like You've a minute it, yeah. into the show and you realize it's not recording. You don't see that red light and, and, and you're like, out. Yeah. Oh no! <laughs> yeah, I had a moment like that. I'll never forget with uh, the unification <laughs> episode. I had I didn't realize that I had watched the tape. So the tape wasn't cued. So when I put the tape in and I would always press play and make sure it was at that point, I'm halfway through an episode. And I'm like, oh, the show's going to start in five minutes. So I had to fast forward through the tape. And I just remember getting to that point where it was primed to record a new episode and pressing record right when, like, the the, the, the cold open started. And I was like, no! And I pressed record and I got it. My mom looked at me like I was a maniac. She was like, what are you freaking out about? Oh. I almost missed... The first five seconds of this episode as I was trying to record. Oh, I got, I got an even worse story for you. <laughs> and this is only for the 40-year-old-plus crowd, so I don't even know why you're still listening if you're under that age group. But um, 10 minutes into an episode, and you're just like, good to go. You got all your commercial breaks. And it just up and starts to rewind. Because <laughs> your dumbass didn't realize... That you only had 15 minutes left on that tape. Right. And you should have used a new tape. You ever set a, you set your VCR to SP instead of SLP, so you've made a, a six-hour tape, a two-hour tape, accidentally? No. Remember that? I've never done that, oh, personally. Yeah. But the rewind thing, and I remember when it first happened, I was like, what, what just happened? <laughs> I still didn't realize the tape was out. And right. when you get to the end, it actually just automatically rewinds. But tapes were expensive, man. So sure. You you reuse that crap all the time. Absolutely. Yep. Did your did your mom, did your parents make you tape stuff for them? No, not tape, really. Tape Dallas for me. I'm like, <laughs> mom, I don't want to tape Dallas. <laughs> like, you never take out the commercials for your mom, I assume, right? You just let that shit run. <laughs> I'm Dallas. <but laughs> no, I was like, no, mom, feed upon the bows on. You know, I got I got my chat instead. You know. <laughs> <laughs> uh, it's crazy times, but absolutely that, a simpler time. But I remember having those stacks of tapes. Sure. Crazy. Anyway, it was a good memory. Man. But that was binge watching <laughs> in the eighties. In the eighties, we're at an hour mark now, so I want to put a pin in this. I, I was just concluding to say that we've never been in a better position to self isolate, and uh, and even with comics, you know, comics have gone digital. They've been that way for a long time. Even if new material isn't coming out, this is a great opportunity to go back into some archives. You know, if I hadn't read Batman Incorporated, you just mentioned it, I could go back, find it digitally, read the whole thing right now. I the real question to. is, have you read Hawkworld? No, I have not read Hawkworld yet. Were you able to use the tablet at all? Or um, I had to reinstall I, that uh, comic reader app. But, right, but I yeah, I got those comics on there for Absolutely, you. absolutely. But, I want you to read Hawkworld, and I think the next time we talk, I want to have a serious, serious discussion about it, because Tim Truman on that book, it's weird because I saw 
another artist do a Hawkman, and he references Hawkworld on it, and uh-huh. he talks about how good it was. And I actually wrote him back. I was like, that is such an incredible book. It should be up, excuse me, up there with year one. Wow. Like, High in terms of redefining a character. Yeah. When you get done reading it, tell me. You, uh, I really want your opinion. We'll see on if it. I'm a big Hawkman fan after that. Lord knows I have like three Hawkman action figures. You think I know I a mean, little bit more about the character? It's the or I never really cared for him. Besides that, but yeah. I knew when they were coming out with these beautifully done prestige formats. Uh, Tim Truman on the art and uh, Alicia Alcada. I cannot pronounce. I think the inker's name on it. Ah. I'll have to look it up, but anyway. Uh, well, the format just, of those books and the idea of being character-centric definitely sprung from Dark Knight Returns' success. No, in terms of reinventing the character, yeah. I think they were doing it. But this one got the prestige format, and it's so well-deserved. But the art is unbelievable. Unbelievable, But the, the story, again, if you're looking for something to read, my, my recommendation of the day is Hawkworld, Tim Truman. Cool. Well, once again, uh, you've been listening to Amazing Arizona Comics Radio, where we've been tackling the issues of the day through the lens of comic books, as I do in my mini-comic, Amazing Arizona Comics. You can find issues of Amazing Arizona Comics at AmazingArizonaComics.com. That's no coincidence. You could also visit my Instagram and follow me at AmazingAZComics to see what I'm up to next. Dave is online at the underscore Vasic, V-A-S-I-C, on Instagram. And what's your uh, website? Is it thevasic.com? Yeah, thevasic.com, V-A-S-I-C. Uh, and do you have links to your sketchbook uh, auctions there? Sketch cover Not auctions? Not on the, the – um, but if you just do a search for David DeLoso on eBay, you can find the stuff. Or my uh, username is the cyst, C-Y-S-T. Okay. Uh on, on eBay? I did it. I had an account way back in the day before <laughs> I even came up with a... You had an account and a... a graphic persona. A boil of, on your back and you thought, hey, why not? You assist. It was a, it was a <laughs> character, a friend of mine, Freddie Ross in Memphis, came up with. Ah, cool. And I did, did some visuals for it when we were at the coffee shop uh, passing nice. napkin artwork back yeah. and forth. I came up with that. Remember coffee shops? Anyway, nah. <laughs> that's David Deloso, D E L L apostrophe. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. When we used to, we could actually go somewhere, right? And just oh, yeah, out for a little bit and, <laughs> and have a cup of coffee. That's David. At, uh, David. Do you remember Public? D E L L apostrophe O S O. If you want to search his name online. Hey, everybody, thanks for listening. A lot of people are making podcasts right now. I wouldn't be surprised if uh, you're one of them, frankly. Certainly don't use this as a template, but thank you for uh, engaging and indulging us uh, with this conversation. There's sure to be more to come as we are, again, beginning a new 15-day stay-at-home order here in Arizona. What will happen after these 15 days? To be continued. Thanks for listening, everybody.